I was snorting coke on Abraham Lincoln's desk in the White House. Yes, that Abraham Lincoln in that White House. A bunch of hairy peacenik dopers from California, though we were, it seems that Trisha Nixon, daughter of Tricky Dick himself, was a fan of the turtles and requested our presence. Our first instinct, you gotta be kidding. No way in hell. Yet here we were, our noses vacuuming lines off the surface of Honest Abe's very own workspace. We had gone through several managers during the past five years and had been on the charts far more often than anyone would have ever guessed, considering that we were the only ones looking out for us and that White Whale Records wasn't much of a label. There had been the folk rock years, and we had been lucky enough to score a few big hits. We were among the earliest children of Bob Dylan putting our cover version of his tune, It Ain't Me, Babe, into the top ten. Then we had become the good-time music boys, influenced by the loving spoonful, and determined not to protest anything. We'd made it to number one with a song that's still recognized today as one of the classic rock and roll love songs of all time, Happy Together Indeed. And now, finally, we had engineered our own success with Eleanor, our first self-penned top ten record, and You Showed Me, which we had changed from a Beatlesque rocker into a lush ballad. We were lucky, and we knew it. Of course, now we had the big-time management to prove it. Gone were the friends of friends. We'd realized that we really weren't in any position to manage ourselves. And hello to the new superstar management team. We had been courted, successfully, by Ron de Blasio and Jeff Wald, who were at the time top reps for the Campbell Silver Cosby Corporation. That's right, Bill Cosby. Mr. Pudding Pops, Fat Freaking Albert, Bill, his own self, was a full partner in the firm that represented him, and us, and others, and his sweaters, and he was the number one comic in America. Across the hall was the office of the appropriately named Artie Mogul, who ran the in-house record company Tetragrammaton, home to Deep Purple, and more. Of course, he had nothing to do with us. Neither did Mr. Cosby, but his name promised to open a lot of doors in Hollywood, and that was exactly what we needed. But what, I asked, could these guys bring to the table for a band that had been around the block and hypothetically overstayed their welcome? We didn't have to wait long to find out. We had heard through the grapevine that the Turtles were Trisha's favorite band, and we had all had a good chuckle over that. Old man Nixon was the creepiest dick of his generation, the least popular president among the under-30 crowd that had ever been, and a killer of our young men and women as far as we were concerned. We were deeply anti-war and deeply self-conscious. We weren't Nixonites, that's for sure. We were everything he stood against. So when the hand-engraved invitation to perform at Trisha Nixon's coming out party arrived at the Cosby office, we were none too thrilled. In fact, we flat out refused to play. They started to freak out. What do you mean you refuse to play? Who the hell do you think you are? This isn't a political thing. It's like a goddamn royal proclamation, you idiots. You play the White House because you're an American. Blah, blah, blah. They shamed us into it. Not only that, but to add insult to injury, management now was requesting that we each go out and buy a classy new suit. Can't play for the president looking like the sewer rats that you really are. Perfect. There it was again. Too bad Johnny Barbada wasn't the drummer in the band anymore. He'd have loved the sight of us clumsily trying on the very Brioni suits that he had been trying to get us to wear for three and a half years. Now we each had bought one. Talk about fish out of water. Came the big day, May 10th, 1969. We flew into Washington, D.C. on the taxpayer's dollar. 
There, we were met by five separate cars, each with a driver, all flying the American flag and taken directly to the White House. Once there, we discovered that the Secret Service had dossiers on each of us. They kept us in a holding lounge while going through our intimate details individually. After we had all been cleared, it was time to unload the equipment that we had brought with us all the way from L.A. But we didn't do the unloading. Instead, the Secret Service guys did. And they didn't know the first thing about large equipment cases. So as they began to unload the trap case, the large case that holds the snare drum, percussion goodies, and miscellaneous items from the drum set, they tipped it to one side and unknowingly triggered the tiny switch on the electric metronome tuner that we always carried with us. Tick, 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 out came the guns.